He's so chatty today. Tell me all about it. Let's hear. What do you have to say? You just peed on me. <laughs> of course. Sarah Ayako is the Director of Strategic Operations and Board Relations at the Vancouver Park Board. Is working. Sarah is currently on her second maternity leave, and when she returns to work, she will be juggling two small children at a high-stress job. First load of laundry today. I think you start with doing yours, and then your child's, and then you add a child, and then what's adding your husband's laundry to the mix? <laughs> Before you know it. Do all the laundry, of which there is a never-ending supply of in my house. I'm Carla Grimman, and this is Talk It Forward, brought to you by the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation, with support from the City of Vancouver. On today's show, we're going to be talking about caregiving and its impact on our careers. Caregiving is a very human experience, and we will all be cared for or care for someone else in our lives. It can come with lots of complications. So how do we balance caregiving with a career and with trying to achieve leadership? Later on in the show, we'll be talking to Michelle Pankratz, who works in organizational development for the city. She is also a caregiver and has lots to say about how we can better support mothers and caregivers while at work. But first, I'll talk with Sarah Ayako about the current pressures of motherhood. Sarah is a new mom. And Sarah, before we get into all the questions, um, I just want to bring up a memory that I have of when we were working on a project together. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but um, we were working on a project and we had to do a presentation to the park board. Mm -hmm. And there were some finishing touches that needed to be done on this presentation, and you knew what the, the um, final touches were, but I did not. And you said, give me a call, and, and I'll walk you through it. Um, so I called you, and you were talking about, okay, on you know slide 15, we need to change this, and then slide 16, can you put a graphic in here? And... Um, and then all of a sudden you start saying, oh, just hang on a second, hang on a second. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, what's, <laughs> what's going on in the background there? And then I hear this. It's okay. Mommy is just talking to a friend at work. Her name is Carla. Yeah. No, her name is Carla. Yeah. I'll push you on the swings. And I just remember mm -hmm. at the time thinking, yep. I've I've called Sarah on her like day off of work. She's booked a day off of work and she's working while she is spending time with her family. From the playground. From the playground. Yes. So <laughs> I don't remember that specifically, but it happens a lot, right? We're always on the go. Yeah. So you're working a pretty demanding job. Um, and But I actually have to also point out that that was many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And another memory I have was just a couple weeks after that phone call, we met in person and I asked you a little bit more about your child. And we started talking about, you know, oh, is this your only one? How many kids do you have? You know, and, and I said, oh, are you going to have another one? And mm -hmm. something that really, really hit home for me was you said, hmm, 
I, I would love to, but I don't know, like I'm also working on my career mm-hmm. and if I move up, you know, that's very demanding of my time mm-hmm. and, you know, it's already hard juggling one, but yeah, I would really love to be able to have another baby, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know if I can move up into leadership with that. So mm-hmm. congratulations. Thank you. You are on your second maternity leave. I am. And as I also understand, you've had a promotion, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, last year. So I'm now the Director of Strategic Operations and Board Relations for the park board. Congratulations. And I've got a sleeping baby beside us here, a little three-month baby, Luca. So he may have a cameo. (laughs) We'll see if we get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) We'd be honored to have baby Luca on, on our podcast. So can you tell me what it's like when you got pregnant with baby Luca? Did you tell anyone about your pregnancy or did you hide it for the first while? Or how did, how was that conversation? Yeah, such an interesting topic. Um, well, you know, for me um, personally, there are circumstances around my second pregnancy that made it a lot more challenging for me. So I personally underwent um, secondary infertility. So I tried for many, many years to become pregnant with my second baby and needed to get assistance through IVF to, to conceive Luca. So for me, I was undergoing that for three and a half years, really behind the scenes before I became pregnant. And so no, to answer your question, I did not share that um, at work. And I think that that's a pretty common experience across the board with a lot of the IVF mamas that I talk to who have busy careers as well. And IVF is is on the rise. One in six heterosexual couples are going to face infertility and may need to undergo IVF. Um, And I think as women are having children later in life, that number is only going to continue to rise. And this is such a a complicated time in a woman's life. Um, You know, it's it's all-consuming, physical, emotional, spiritual, financial. And, um, you know, a woman who's undergoing IVF is experiencing invasive medical procedures, surgeries, testing, side effects from medication, you know, having to deal with unsuccessful treatments, pregnancy loss maybe, pregnancy complications, or may need to explore alternative options for having her family. So this is a really, really complicated time for women in particular. And largely they're suffering in silence because of the fear of discrimination. Um, You know, it's... Women are still facing that sexism and microaggressions in the workplace, all that unconscious bias and stereotypes that women face when they are announcing pregnancies, becoming pregnant, because people are perceiving them to be on the mommy track, right? And that they're less, they're perceived to be less committed or capable at their jobs. And, um, and so I think therefore women, you know, don't feel safe. Sadly, sometimes we have to to hide it. Yeah, they don't feel safe talking about it. And so I think for the majority of my experience, I kept quiet. And it really wasn't until, you know, I felt safe in relationship to my current um, wonderful boss to, to share that at a really critical time for 
for myself. And so, um, you know, that made all the difference. What was it that made you feel safe? Did your current boss do anything different? Mm-hmm. You said it was about relationship building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That made you feel safe? Well, I mean, we at the park board are blessed with a leader who is, um, she's just a freedom fighter all around. She's very committed to to equity across the board. And she is willing to step up and make hard decisions and fight for her employees. And I think she's got a mission to really change um, the culture of the park board. And so it was her her persona, right? And the way that she showed up for her leaders, um, the way that she just exists in the world is very authentic. And I thought, if I can't risk it with this person, um, then there's it's not safe with anyone. And so I did it. And I was so thankful that I did. She just was, was beautiful in that um, experience for me. And it made all the difference, really. Yeah, to a safe and healthy pregnancy, really. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. And and I think there's probably a lot of other women who have heard this and sort of breathe a sigh of relief that that has happened for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And thank you also for for sharing with us your journey of trying to get pregnant, um, because I know that that can be a very difficult thing. It's a very emotional thing. And as you said, though, I think more and more women, as they are having babies later on in life, are going to be using that fertility treatment to get pregnant. Yeah. So when you got pregnant the first time, and sorry, may I ask, what is your baby's, your first (laughs) child's name? Teddy. Theodore. Teddy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So when you were pregnant with Teddy, um, did you disclose or tell anyone you were pregnant then too? And, And how was it different? No, I, I didn't either until it was time, um, you know, until I was sort of like starting to physically show. And I remember going to my my manager and saying, I have something to tell you and saying, oh, my God, you're not quitting. <laughs> I said, no, <laughs> no, I'm not quitting. I'm pregnant. I'm four, I'm like four or four and a half months pregnant by this point. And he was just floored. Um daddy of four, super supportive of me as well. And so it was a beautiful thing. Of course, I showed up with my spreadsheet of this isn't going to impact work. And this is the status of my projects. And this is my plan for, um, you know, transitioning to mat leave. And he just said, put that away. And, you know, gave me a big hug and, uh, you know, wanted to just to hear about how I was. And I thought that was very kind and sweet too. But the reality is, um, no, I didn't I didn't share prior to that point. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons why women wouldn't do that. But, you know, you and I have sort of discussed behind the scenes, you know, imagine a world where a woman could come to work and say, you know, I want that promotion Mm -hmm. and or, you know, I'd like to aspire to this level in the organization. And by the way, I also aspire to have three children in my life and, how do we make this work in a transparent and fair and um, productive way for both parties, right? Like we're a long way from reproductive transparency. Yeah. And um, and so I think there's a lot there, you know. I think there's a lot there for, for us to all explore and to improve upon. I agree. And I think that if we could have those 
conversations and be able to have relationships, you know, with our employers that are as strong as that, I think that's in my mind, a win-win for both parties, Mm -hmm. a whole lot less stressful, I think. Yeah. So, but just for the record, you are coming back to work, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm coming back to work. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you, you've kind of, you know, you're not even halfway through your maternity leave, Mm -hmm. but um, what do you think it's going to be like as you transition back into work after your maternity leave? Oh my goodness, that's the million dollar question. I mean, the first time around, I have to say I was shocked at how difficult it was. I mean, I was prepared for difficult, but it the difficulty far exceeded what I um what I was ready for. You know, I think that moms are still facing that motherhood penalty, right? That perceived competence and commitment issue and sometimes they're making trade-offs for managing the extra burdens that they're dealing with at home in terms of unpaid work, childcare, cleaning, cooking, logistics, um, sick days, doctor's appointments, social engagements, volunteering with their kids, um, you know, on and on it goes and this is disproportionately affecting women you know, significantly. In fact, it's been shown that men actually earn more when they become fathers. They don't have this motherhood penalty. So when I returned to work the first time, it was sort of fraught by by so many complications, really. And I, I don't think that it was until I became a mom that I felt like I was falling behind in my career, you know? And I'll say that as a very privileged uh you know, woman, white, cis, able-bodied, credentialed, married, employed women in Vancouver, Um, very privileged on the spectrum. But I, and, you know, I've certainly faced my fair share of sexism in the workplace coming up, but it really wasn't until I became a mom that I started to really lose ground because I needed to make those trade-offs. You know, I had shared with you that, Childcare. We know childcare is an issue in Vancouver, and I thought, nope. Have you got childcare ready I d- for? No, I do no. not. No, and I'll tell you the story. The first time around, I I had heard the horror stories of the childcare issue. So the first people that knew I was pregnant were the childcare wait lists. Yep. Uh, even before I told my husband, I had a spreadsheet. I had plotted on the map all of the centers in my radius between home and work. And I had applied to all of them uh, diligently, you know, over a dozen childcare um, locations. And I will tell you that in 15 months, I only heard back from one. And to this day, they say, we don't know how you got on with us. You know, we had a three-year wait list. It was a fluke. Um, I diligently followed up with those childcare centers on a quarterly basis. Nobody called me back. You know, I was desperate. I had to extend my mat leave by a little bit. Um, I was looking at getting a nanny, but of course a nanny is costly. So, so costly. You know, if you're, if you're planning to pay a nanny a living wage in Vancouver, it's, it's a very significant cost. I just personally cannot afford. Yeah. So I was lucky the first time that I did find childcare. Um, and this time around, I am in the same boat. I honestly don't know what will happen. Yeah. So you're, you're just waiting for the phone call and hoping. I'm just waiting. Yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the wind. And so that's like a huge reason why 
um, I think, you know, returning to work for moms is... Um, stressful. Stressful and uh, fraught with uncertainty, you know, inability to plan and, to, and to, to get those logistics sorted out is a big part of it. But then again, you know, juggling everything once you do find childcare um, and returning to work, it's exhausting. Draining, exhausting. It's a two, four, seven job. You know, you, you have a child, that's another full-time job in addition to your paid work job. And you didn't get any more time in your day. And motherhood is two four seven. You know, your children need you during the night. Um, if you're nursing, it's. A, I've heard estimates that nursing a baby is eighteen hundred hours a year. So that's close to a full time job in itself. Unpaid. Unpaid. Just just the feeding component of it. So, I think that that mounting unpaid labor that women do at home, it wasn't for me a conscious decision almost. It just sort of, I just seem to accumulate. <laughs> I accumulate jobs. Somehow we manage to do it. Right? I accumulate the laundry. I accumulate the cooking. I accumulate the pickups. I accumulate all of the emotional um, care for my children. And I think it's not uncommon, right? And so for me, I needed to make accommodation. I took a reduced work week when I came back the first time around. And that had consequences for me in my career. I really did, people did perceive me in a different way because I was doing a different job. And although I was grateful for that accommodation, um, I think looking back, I can see how it really set me back a bit in terms of my career progression. And do you think though, like that, was it people's perceptions that kind of set you back or... I don't know, because I, I see you as really, like, and certainly when I have worked with you on projects, you know, you are very ambitious, you are determined. I think that any employer would be thankful to have you on their team. Like, you're just an incredibly Thanks, productive person. I'll get a reference from you. <laughs> yes. Not a problem. You. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's complicated because although I needed and wanted that accommodation, and I was so, so grateful at the time to have it, um... I also can see in retrospect that I took a different role and that role was as an individual contributor and it had it was a blessing and a curse, a blessing in the sense that traditional leadership roles like the one I'm in now, even, you know, we've got big teams, um, you need to be available basically 247, there's evening work, board work, um, project work, which is just, you know, deadline driven and it can be high stress. And so... When I took the individual contributor role, it didn't have a lot of those issues, right? I could come in, I could provide my expertise and work and then leave. And I loved that about it for a time. Uh -huh. But it also meant that people who didn't know me before perceived me as that was my skill level. And so in particular, people in leadership didn't know that I came with 15 years of experience doing all those other things prior, right? Uh -huh. And that this for me was a sort of a temporary timeout. So it took, I think, a lot of relationship building for me and time and and me to sort of get back in the saddle, so to speak, with my hours of work and whatnot to be really quite clear about my commitment for growth to recover on that. And I think that for a lot of women, that's just, um, you know, not going to be like I, I had the benefit of, of exposure, let's say, 
mm-hmm. right? And of my personal relationships. So I think for a lot of women who are making those trade-offs, whether it's financial or whether it's for childcare, you know, they're they're really going to be facing that penalty. And if they don't have the mentorship and the guidance and or people advocating for them, quite easily could fall even further behind in their careers. For me, it's very important to have a female role model. And I think that also, you know, for someone to be interested in challenging the status quo, that's what I am most attracted to in strong female leaders is that, you know, this uh, industry, this function, this workforce that we've kind of inherited was not built by women for women. And it certainly doesn't accommodate two working parents, in particular working mothers, yet at all. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm motivated in people who are interested in helping change that. It would be so wonderful if more employers could provide on-site childcare. Mm-hmm. And if that's not possible, then help their employees guarantee priority childcare at locations where the care is of good quality. This would be an absolute game changer to say, you know, we can guarantee you a spot at this facility and to know, you know, it's going to be available when you need it and you want to return back to work. I think the other thing is a really well-defined reintegration plan for moms. Like right now we're relying on, you know, Canada's well-legislated maternity leave benefit. Okay, so... It's, it's really not enough, I don't think, in today's competitive marketplace to rely on the fact that, okay, women get this mat leave and here are your benefits and there you go and see you in a year. Um, we really need to start to address three phases of maternity, which is like before, during and after for women and after being the most crucial. Because we know that women leave the workforce on average um, 18 months after coming back to work because of all those trade-offs they're having to make and becoming more and more disillusioned along the way. So I think a program to help women with that on and off ramp would be really important. And the number one thing you probably need is flexible work. Yes. Um, Whether that's remote work or, you know, a reduced hours on a temporary basis, whether it's sort of like a gradual return to work or a compressed work week to manage all of your obligations. You know, traditionally leaders manage big teams and they're available 247 and nights and evenings are just part of it. But if we did create some more senior level individual contributor roles, um, then I think that women would not have to take so many trade-offs and be penalized for kind of not conforming to that traditional track. So we'll see, you know, um, I'll be presenting and preparing material for board meetings every Monday, probably (laughs) when I go back to work and I'll likely be nursing a baby and, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be probably forging that, um, that track for many people at the park board to say, is this sustainable for a mother with with young babies? Um, And if not, then how can we make it so? I 100% support you in this forging ahead. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to to talk about or any other burning sort of issues on your mind about motherhood? And well, I mean, I think that there are a couple things that 
we could improve for moms everywhere, right? You know, we talked about childcare. We talked about having, you know, a supportive on and off ramp. We talked about having more welcoming and flexible workplace policies. I think that ultimately we have to get down to the fact that there's a wage gap and that women are not making the same amount um, or earning the same amount as men and that there's still a penalty, a very high cost for women to have a career. And at a certain point, I think we're going to have to really pay women for their maternity leaves. Um, We work at the city. We have a very generous benefit package when you compare that to a lot of other companies. For example, we have the wellness days, which I just, Mm -hmm. I love the wellness days, right? Those are days with my kids. I just love those. And the city will top up maternity to four months to a proportion of your salary. But I think when with women, especially in inner cities like Vancouver, where um, we have a crippling mortgages and where childcare is sort of hit and miss, and then we have women who are having babies later in their life, right, who may have to deal with fertility treatments, and then all of the added costs and pressures of having a baby, um, you know, they've right-sized their lives to their salaries, and yet they have to go on maternity leave and they have to earn a very small proportion of what they were earning before, right, through EI, which they pay into their entire lives, by the way. And then potentially, if they're very, very lucky, we'll have a maternity top-up. And the other thing is, you know, for example, at the city, we have a, a defined pension program which if you take a maternity leave, you take a gap year from that pension. If you do the math on the gap, let's say on one, two, three children, that's a massive cut to your pension. So women are being penalized not only immediately by taking the mat leave, but in their future for their retirement. And currently there's a, a time period that you have to pay that money back um, in order to get the, the employer contribution. And I think it's it's only a few years. But the reality is, if you live in Vancouver, you have a huge mortgage, you're having to save for your mat leave as it is, you don't all of a sudden have ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 laying around to um, re-contribute to your pension. So I think that that's something that employers need to look at. And then lastly, I would say that everybody, I think at work, has a responsibility to... Um, address sort of like the culture of burnout because a lot of this is is um, disproportionately affecting women. But I think we need to be super clear and realistic and achievable in what we're taking on, right? We can't be all things to all people. We need supportive workplace policies that help employees, not just women, but everybody establish boundaries to safeguard their mental health. Um, and I think we really need to engage women in particularly moms, in the development of these programs and policies. You know, I'd like to see us model the way. You know, it's very uncommon for me to see women, especially moms with young kids in leadership roles, right? Even if we are seeing women, like they're disproportionately white and they're a lot older. And I think that if we start to include more BIPOC staff, more women with young children, in leadership roles, really, we're going to see, like, what's the litmus test of these? Are they sustainable? Are they inclusive? Are they productive for everybody involved? So those are the things that I that I would like to see. And, I mean, we didn't really touch on the men. 
I think they are that's, part of the equation. That's maybe right? another podcast. <laughs> um, but this this podcast was about mothers, right? So I think that right now we need to support the women because they are having the babies and they are doing this work. And I think that we need to offer our policies of flexibility and workplace inclusiveness to all employees and get men on board because the culture of flexibility can be perceived as as a penalty to women. So if more men partook in that and parentally flexible work, taking on more of the burden of childcare and and other responsibilities, then I think that, that's, that's a win for women. I agree. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but I do, I do think women need to be the focus of these supportive programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And thank you for, <laughs> you know, I asked if you had anything else or more to say, and you brought up like a whole bunch of other points, all super important. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can get started <laughs> on some of these initiatives. Let's get yeah. started. Yes. I'm on board. <laughs> thank you so much, Sarah, again, for being on our show today. And thank you, baby Luca, for making a cameo appearance. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for doing this podcast, Carla. You're listening to Talk It Forward, brought to you by the Vancouver Board of Parks and Recreation and supported by the City of Vancouver. I'm Carla Grimmin. And today on the show, we're talking about caregiving and self-care and what it's like to juggle parenthood or taking care of a loved one with a disability while juggling work and all those other pressures. Next, we'll talk about strategies to better support caregivers. Um, Before we introduce our guest today, I just wanted to give a kudos and a huge thank you to all of the working women out there those that are working inside and outside of the workplace. Um, You know, I read somewhere that stats are, they work an additional five hours per day outside of the workforce. And the work that they do outside of the workforce, it's, it's vital to our communities and our society. And this work often goes unrecognized. And this work looks like cooking, cleaning, volunteering for the pack, and also caretaking or caregiving, which leads me to introduce our next guest, um, Michelle Pankratz from Organizational Development at the City of Vancouver. And she's here to chat with us about caregiving and how it may impact our career development. Um, So thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us today. And can you tell us just a little bit about what does organizational development do here at the City of Vancouver? Thank you very much, Carla. I'm really thrilled to be here. And sure, it's um, a bit of a funny term, organization development, but primarily what we're responsible for as a team is individual leadership and team leadership and organizational culture shift kinds of initiatives. So very much work with leaders um, across the organization at all levels of the organization. Thanks for that. So you're talking about leadership and, and the development of leadership. Often, you know, the, these additional hours and specifically caregiving or caretaking, it can be a bit of a barrier to career development and leadership. I was just wondering, has this personally impacted you at all in your career development? Yes, absolutely. So I am, first of all, um, at the city in terms of how we've defined caregiver, for example, in our employee benchmark surveys is 
parent or someone who cares for, provides elder care and or care for someone who lives with a chronic illness and or disability of some sort. So for me, I am a mom. And so there's that aspect of caregiving. Um, I have a son and also a daughter, a stepdaughter. But 10 years ago, my son was diagnosed with um, what is called a life-threatening um, chronic autoimmune disease. And so I became a medical caregiver as well as a parent. So that was a life-altering um, experience for me. It's changed every aspect of my life and continues to be uh, a big part of my life, although my son's a young adult now and, and primarily independent, but there are still aspects of caregiving that I provide for him. So I think you never stop being a mom, no matter how old your child is. That is is the case. You're absolutely right. It just shifts in terms of what you worry about. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so from a from a caregiving perspective, on those different levels, um, yes, it's very much been part of my journey and and my uh, career experience as well has shaped that. And so, as far as impacting your career development, to, you know, it sounds exhausting. Mm-hmm very time-consuming, and it can drain you from focusing on your daily job or your career development. I'm wondering, how did you navigate around that? And did it impact you that much? Yes, actually. So when my son was diagnosed, I was actually a TFT employee at the city. And so initially, I actually had to leave my role because it was, um, it's quite a steep learning curve for the health condition he has. It's intense management. It requires 24-7 management. And he was young, so I needed to go to his field trips and I needed to be there for all of his sports on the sidelines and things like that. So for the first year, I actually couldn't work. So it had quite a significant impact. And then I was able to start fitting work back into my life because I'm also the primary income earner in my family. So it's important that I am working. So there was some financial impact from that as well, as well as career impact, which happens for for many women and caregivers in general. Um, But interestingly, at the city currently, there are not part-time options. So I had to find a different way to engage, and that was primarily through contracts. And then five years ago, I had the opportunity to come back in a a full-time role, and my son was at a different level. But two and a half years into that, he was in the teen stage, which comes with its own challenges for the disease that he has. I am there right now. I am there right now. I I sympathize with you and any other mother, father of a teenager. Yes, it's a very unique stage in children's lives. And then also with my son, which he has type 1 diabetes. And so um, it's quite a fraught time, physical and mental health. So I attempted to stay very engaged in work as a manager. And you know this in the organization. It's a very fulfilling role, but it's also very demanding. And so I thought I could do it all and do both. And those extra hours you're talking about and all the medical care requirements I had, and I ended up burning out. And I had to leave the organization again. And so for about a year and a half, so just to regain my own health, recalibrate, make sure my son was in a good place. And then I had the very good fortune of being able to come back in in my role when my predecessor actually had to leave for caregiving reasons actually as well. So I've had quite a quite a journey with my caregiving experience in terms of how it impacts my whole life and my career and work. So 
Welcome back. Thank you. Obviously, very thankful to have you back. Thank you. And so, you know, you, you've had to leave a few times mm-hmm. to care for yourself. And now that you have re-entered the workplace and full-time, I'm wondering, you know, when you did leave, did you learn anything about self-care and how are you going to manage this full-time job now? Mm-hmm. Um, you're still caregiving. Mm-hmm. You're caregiving for an loved elder person in your life. What do you think you will do different this time to care for yourself? Or what? And is there anything else that you would recommend to say our, our listeners that are going through a similar situation? Because I think that putting yourself first and caring for yourself first and foremost before you take care of others mm. is really important. It is absolutely the case. And it's interesting, you know, when um, when my fun- son was first diagnosed, I was in a session where someone uh, was there who wasn't a caregiver, but that was okay, but who provided some, you know, guidance and suggestions and ideas, like make sure you sit by the window and read a book and have a cup of tea or go to a yoga class. And in my situation, and I know for many parents, particularly with young children, that's actually not really an option. Um, so, but And that becomes more of an option as you carve out time and you find your ways. But what I found actually was, interestingly, some of the self-care things were self-compassion. Um, so being kinder with myself in terms of my expectations, being vulnerable and sharing with others so that they would be aware. Because caregiving is quite invisible for the most part in the workplace. And so actually sharing and being vulnerable about what it was that I was managing, um, and I do that still today, I think breathing you know, but intentionally breathing in the day, you know, finding those things that I can insert right into my day-to-day movement is is extremely important, I think, for all of us. And I know for me, it's really important. So making sure I just get up and move around, I make that non-negotiable. Um, and relationships, I think, too. So having those around you that um, either speak the same language or that you can share with, so that shores you up. So those are some of the things for me that I learned, even just in how I think differently and what I expected of myself provided the self-care and then enabled me to still be highly productive and contributing too. So so that's a shift for me. Um, and just wondering, in terms of caregiving and supporting women, what do you think men can do to better support women in providing caregiving while navigating work environments? You know, it's it's interesting because, I mean, increasingly, actually, men are caregivers as well. But um, in an, all the research that I've done that I'm aware of, women are more impacted by caregiving. Um, but I was listening to an interesting discussion the other day about flexibility in the workplace actually is probably one of the biggest things we can do to support everyone. It's a healthier way of working for everyone increasingly as we go forward. And we've certainly seen that in the pandemic. And when we do that, that also provides options and opportunities for men to take on more caregiving as well. And so it's an interesting thing where still caregiving predominantly falls on women, as you mentioned, the hours that are involved. So even if men identify as caregivers in the organization, women still tend to take on more of the different kinds of roles that impact their lives and work. So I think men being aware of that, um, men um, finding ways to 
flex their own work lives and um, be in conversation about this issue to understand it more deeply in terms of the impacts. I think fully just engaging in the conversation to understand how we can do this collectively. Because care, you know, it's interesting. I I was just reading a stat that at least 60% of us at some point in our lives are going to have some responsibility in terms of caregiving, be it children or elder care or caring for a family member or friend. That's pretty universal experience. So it's actually woven into our society. It's a core thread of who we are as humans, but it's invisible primarily in places like the workplace. And so I think bringing this forward, and that was part of the reason for the ERG too. Um, 45%, I think, of of city employees who responded to the employee benchmark survey are caregivers or identified as caregivers. 66% of them are actually um, those who are pay band 10 and above, so are senior leaders. So it's really interesting in terms of it's, it's quite a high percentage of our employees, at least those who responded to the employee benchmark survey, who identify as caregivers. But you likely don't know that in terms of the impacts um, in day-to-day interactions. I know, and I think when you talk about it being invisible, you know, I think a lot of people want to keep their personal lives outside of the work environment. But I think that if we know about the struggles that our employees are going through, then we can better support them and bring understanding as to, you know, why they're off today or, you know, they're just not 100% there and help them in some way with whatever that they are going through. Like you said, this is just the beginning of the journey and the beginning of the conversations. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your experience with us of what you have gone through. And just curious <laughs> for our listeners, what is your favorite thing to do in regards to self-care? What is your number one thing that you, you turn to to do? I live um, close to Pacific Spirit Park in Vancouver, up near UBC, the university. And that has saved my life. Being in that forest, walking or running there is um, just being surrounded by nature and the quiet. I would say that's my number one go-to space and activity to be present. Nice. Putting on your running shoes and running. (laughs) Yes, just running (laughs) off. knows which direction. Can I add one more thing to Carla that I just wanted to say because I heard this beautiful um, Dr. Terry Lee Elred who is a medical director for First Nations Health Authority and I heard her give a beautiful analogy which she said is if you consider all of us as humans in a circle, you know, a community in a circle and if we take care of those in the margins, so if we make sure that whatever we design um, uh, takes care of those who are in the, the margins, those equity denied groups, um, those of us who have these different intersectional needs, that will take care of everyone. And and I thought that was a beautiful thing, is that um, there is a way for it to be an end for all of us if we start having these conversations with those who are um, challenged most by living in the systems and structures that we're in. And so I think that's a great goal. Thank you very much for sharing that. And thank you again for joining us on today's episode. Take care. Thank you very much. It's fantastic that you're creating a space for putting voice to and having these conversations about women in leadership. So I appreciate it. 
This has been Talk It Forward. I'm Carla Grimman. I'd like to thank both Sarah and Michelle for joining me today and talking about caregiving and for being so open and honest and letting us see into their personal lives. Please follow Talk It Forward to receive episodes as they come out. And why not share the podcast and tell your friends about us? You can learn more about the City of Vancouver's Women Equity Strategy online at vancouver.ca forward slash women's equity. Take care and talk soon.